Turn to the person next to you and answer this question. I want you to answer this question. Think of all, if, if you've been working or if you've ever had a job, um, think of all the bosses or leaders, supervisors, whatever you've ever had. If you haven't had a job or you've only had one and it's the best thing in the world, uh, think of maybe coaches or teachers, anyone who's been an authority in your life, and, and turn to the person next to you and in 20 seconds let them know the worst person you have ever worked for, unless you work here at this church, and that's the answer. Um, but uh, turn to the person next to you. If it is your boss, and that's the worst person you ever worked for, answer a different question, but let them know who is the worst leader that you've ever been under, ever. Okay, go ahead. 20 seconds. As always, we take longer to answer these questions. Some of you have long explanations about it. <laughs> so if I asked you a follow-up question to that and said, okay, that's the worst person, how well did you love that person? If that was the next question, how would you answer that? Just, you get, I see a lot of you just laughed. And <laughs> So this morning we're going to continue our series uh, studying the teachings of, of Jesus. And we're actually getting to a section where he tells us to love our enemies. And uh, the great author G.K. Chesterton once said this, The Bible teaches us to love our neighbors, and it also teaches us to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. <laughs> Sometimes for us we have... It's confusing to know who are really the enemies and who are the people that God has called us to love and, and who are our neighbors. And, and, and let's be honest, people are people. So neighbors, enemies, people, you love, it's just hard to love people in general. And, and so we're getting to a, a section of Scripture where we've been studying through the teachings of Jesus. In the first few weeks, or actually the first couple months, we were looking at what are the stories tell us about who is Jesus Kind of, we went through his baptism and temptation in the desert. We even looked at his birth and, and his childhood and, and all these things. And what did that tell us about the nature of who Jesus is? And, and through the book of Luke, he keeps pointing to the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that Jesus is God in flesh, and that he has come. He brings salvation for all people. That's the theme that keeps coming up. But now, we, with last week, we entered into a new section where this is the longest sermon that that is recorded in scripture that Jesus gave now whether it was just one long sermon or a series of his teachings it was his sermon series I'm not sure what it was but this is the longest recorded passage of Jesus's teaching and and so now we're starting to look at because Jesus is who he says he is what is it that he teaches what is his his worldview that he is trying to help his disciples understand and so last week we looked at that and, and Matt kicked off this section and looked at it and, and in, in this passage is called the Beatitudes, often it's referred to as that, or the blessings. And, and what we saw was 
the way our world normally works, the natural tendency of mankind is all the things that we value, riches and being well-fed, which represents uh, uh, material comfort, laughing instead of mourning, so, so kind of pleasure instead of pain, being accepted instead of rejected, all those things that naturally that we want, power and comfort and all these things, that natural order of things, Jesus is saying, that is the natural order of the world, but I come with a kingdom that turns all of that upside down. That the world that I'm presenting you is, those things in and of themselves are not bad. It's not, it's not bad to have riches. It's not bad to have, to have comfort. But in this world, there will be times when you don't have those things. And someone who is captured and living for the kingdom of God, those things aren't the defining moments of your life. Those things aren't what we ultimately live for. So last week, we saw that Jesus is turning it upside down. And that, that's why he could say, blessed are you who suffer. Blessed are you when, you when you're poor. If those are not what you find your value in, if the kingdom of God is what you live for. Because those are just moments where you realize that your ultimate reward, the ultimate kingdom is in heaven. And so you can live a blessed life knowing that this is, these are temporary. These things are not what we live for. So Jesus is flipping this whole idea of what matters upside down. So now today is the passage where he continues on with this teaching, but he's going to get very practical and say, what does this look like now when we live out the kingdom of God in our lives today in a world that uses right-side-up principles, the natural order of things, but Jesus says, but I live, my kingdom is upside down. So we're going to look at that, and I want to ask you to um, pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you so much for this time. And I thank you that you present a world that is so different than this world that we often live in, a world where our natural tendency is to seek our own pleasure, our own comfort, our own glory, our own fame, and Lord, that is so temporary, and that can fall day to day, it can change, and and so God, I thank you that you present a different kind of world, a world that we're living for something eternally. But God, it's challenging. So today I ask that as I teach that these would be words that you would shape and transform me and everyone in here. God, we want to know the life that you have, but we need you. We need your wisdom and we need your power to live this out. So we thank you and give you this time. In your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 6. And as we get started, what I want to do is I'm going to read this passage And then we'll go back and break it down and find some context. And then what is Jesus actually trying to tell us? So Luke chapter 6, in verse 27, uh, you're always welcome to use your digital versions if that's your preference. And if you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back of the room. And if you do not own one, that is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have one for your own. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, he, he begins and Jesus is teaching. And he says this, I say to you who hear me. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, don't withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good, though, do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, 
What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So as we look at this passage, now, maybe you've been around the church for a while. Maybe you grew up in a faith-based community and you've read this, you've heard it before. And this is this kind of most lofty ideal that Jesus is teaching. It's, It's something that seems very unattainable when you really start thinking about it. But maybe for us it's very familiar but to understand really the radical nature of Jesus, what Jesus is talking about, we need to know in first century, when he was saying this to his hearers, to his disciples, that what he was presenting was a very radical worldview. In fact, he was presenting something that was actually probably offensive to most of the people who heard him. It, it didn't go with the grain of culture, and it certainly went against what they understood being uh, Jewish people living in Israel at the time. This would be so against what they believed that they would be shocked to hear what Jesus was saying. Some would be offended at what he was saying. How can we love our enemies? Jesus, do you not understand this world that we're living in right now? And so just really quickly, a little bit of context is this. Again, Israel, we we talk about this often because it's important that we understand the context of their world because this was written to people in first century. Now, the Israelites at the time were living in what we call modern-day Israel, and they were occupied by Rome. And, and Rome was, in some ways, they kept the peace, but they kept the peace through force. They kept the peace through violence. Uh, Romans invented crucifixion. Jesus wasn't the first time person crucified. They would crucify anyone who rose up against them. In fact, there was one report that in, in uh, Galilee region that there was over a thousand rebels against Rome who were crucified on the same day. So Rome was, was this oppressive world government that kept peace by saying, if you go against us, we'll destroy you. Rome also, as they occupied the land, they took, in, in a region like Galilee, where there was fishermen and farmers and tradespeople, they took a relatively uh, comfortable life as far as economically. People were able to get what they needed to survive. And when Rome occupied, they wanted to build grand, uh, they needed to build roads, big palaces, uh, fortresses for their armies. They had to pay all their soldiers, so they brought taxes with them. And they didn't bring a little bit of taxes. Some would say it's at least 50%, and it went up to almost 90% in some cases of how much you'd be taxed in the region. So it's somewhere around California taxes. So, and, and that was what Rome brought. So imagine now, uh, and, and then in addition to that, they brought in their religion. Now, Israel had been occupied by the Greeks before, so they were not unaware of of people who would worship multiple deities, but Rome brought it, and at one case even brought it into the temple in Jerusalem. They put their insignia over the temple and, and, and brought in their own foreign gods until they saw that this actually probably was crossing the line, and they took it down. But So now, imagine that you were a Jewish person living in Israel, and... Romans occupy your, your land, so all your work, much of your work is given to support their lifestyle. Their lifestyle is counter everything that you believe that God is asking you to do as a person. 
going against your ethics, going against your religion, going against your faith. You're supporting uh, this polytheism that actually would say, God is, your God isn't the God of all creation. There's many gods. And, and so the, what you work for, what you strive for is supporting that. And every time you look around, you think, didn't God promise us that he would walk with us? But now look at this world that we live in. Rome is over us. So those for them, was a very clear enemy. Someone that they didn't want in their land. We today don't have something quite as clear as this. But this was their context. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, for many of us, if I asked you who your enemy was, most of us would think, I don't know. You kind of think about it. But it's not like, for us, maybe you'd say, well, um, ISIS or Al-Qaeda or the New York Yankees or something you'd think of, like, who's really opposed to us. But we don't really sense that enemy that, like they did. This was an oppressive, everyday presence. They knew who their enemy was. And there was a few responses that the nation of Israel, that they, how they would respond to the enemies. So there's a few different groups, and I, I have them on the screen for you. The first response was to retreat from the world, or from, from that world that Rome brought. And this was a segment of this population called the Essenes. They left Jerusalem. They left Galilee. They went and they built their own little fortress and and, and they hid up in the hills and said, we want nothing to do with Rome. They're polluting our way of life. They're polluting our thoughts. So we're going to retreat. We're going to just get away from them and live in the desert on our own. The second form uh, of response was this. It was to fight against the world or to fight against Rome. And this was the zealots. Jesus had a zealot on his team when he picked his disciples. In fact, some people believe that two of them, Judas Iscariot and and, uh, Simon the zealot, were both considered part of the zealots. And this was a group that said, Rome's occupying, we are going to fight against them. That is the only way. If we are going to preserve our identity as Jews, then we'll fight against them and we'll do anything that we can to do it. And so they were actually known as a domestic terrorist group. That's how they were identified. Ancient historians even told stories that they would walk up behind tax collectors in public markets and they were known for carrying daggers. And with the dagger, they would stab them in the back and keep moving on and and kill the tax collectors in in public, in a crowd. And, And that was the zealots. They said, we will take them down one by one. And then the third response that was common in the time of Jesus was to assimilate with the world. And this would be the Sadducees, which was one of the uh, sects of uh, the priesthood in Jerusalem. They were very political. They said, well, if Romans occupying, then we might as well work with them. In fact, we might as well get a piece of the pie and and have them work for us. And we'll share some of the tax money and, and we'll just make friends with Rome. And so they assimilated. This would be the tax collectors. They saw an opportunity. They said, well, I'll work for Rome. That's great income there. I don't care. Herod, who was, uh, at first was Herod the Great, was one of the leaders over Israel. At the time of Jesus, there was a, a couple of Herod's sons who were governors over different regions. They were known to completely assimilate their life with the Roman culture. And so it was very common where some people would say, well, we kind of like some of what Rome brought. We like these palaces. We like their theology. We like their life. So we're going to assimilate and just become part of them. But when Jesus came, he was teaching a fourth way. And the fourth way was none of those. The fourth way, Jesus wasn't saying, don't, I'm not telling you to retreat from the world. I'm not asking you to fight against the world. 
I'm not asking you to assimilate with the world. What I'm asking you to do is to bring God's world into this world. To live the kingdom of God here and now. And that's a totally different way. That's a fourth way that Jesus believed could work. And so he, pro- he proclaimed that we should live the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is at hand. He actually taught us to pray with something. He said, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom be made known here through your people, God. That was Jesus' worldview. So when he presents this section here and says, so I'm telling you to love your enemies, the first thought that they all had was, whoa, 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 Jesus, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? So I want to break down now, what is, look, look at the different sections or passages or verses and degrees of love that Jesus is asking us to do, and then we're going to make it personal to us today, because last time I checked, I really don't care what Rome does. Just, it's just me. But who are the enemies that we face today? What is this referring to? So now let's look at this again. Verse 27. With knowing the context of what Jesus is talking about, let's look at this. First thing he says, to, I say to all those of you here, to love your enemies. Now, at the very first point there, they all, the first thing they would think is, oh, this is Rome. This is the Romans. For us, that's who it is for the, for the Jews hearing that. But this is a very broad term here. Let's translate it for us today. Jesus starts off with this big thing, basically saying those who are not in your tribe. The people who are not with you. Because for the Israelites, they would think, well, we know who our people are. We're Israel. And then among the Israelites, they said, well, we even know which tribe of Israel we belong to. And that's even more important. And in the Middle East, my family is my smallest section of the pride, and that's the most important. And so each degree away from that was less, someone who was less on your side. So for us today, when we think of enemies, who are the enemies? Those not in your tribe. Maybe it's someone who doesn't believe what you believe. Maybe it's someone who doesn't live the lifestyle that you live. Could be someone who doesn't look the way you look. There's all kinds of things that we could say are a tribe. So this is not enemy in the sense of someone for us today probably who's against you and attacking you, but just often... This, it's the broadest term of those who aren't even in your tribe. Those who are on the outside of your normal pattern of life. So he starts, and says, love those people. Now the word love here, Scripture has four different terms of love. This one is agape love, which is unconditional, no strings attached love. Jesus is saying, I want you to love your enemies expecting nothing in return from them. I want you to love your enemies just because God has loved you so unconditionally. You love them. There's nothing you will get back, but you're commanded to love. It's an unconditional, free love that he says give to them. So if the disciples said, oh, Jesus, come on. I mean, maybe some of the Romans, but not all of them. They don't all deserve it. He said, yeah, right, they don't. That's why I said agape. Love. Love. Unconditional. Think of the people in your life who maybe are on the outside of your tribe. Now, when I speak of that, please understand, I'm not, one of the things that can happen is in our world is we as humans naturally go to the closest little circle, don't we? That's why racism exists. Because we, at the very least, we say we want people we understand that we relate to. That's why uh, there's prejudice against different socioeconomic classes. Because maybe we say, I'm comfortable with my people, 
my tribe. And that might include different races, but the same economic. It might be even when we talk about faith. There's very important, there's a lot of importance in protecting what you believe and preserving what you believe. But if we say like that we're on the inside and we, anyone outside of our faith, they're our enemy, we're against them. Jesus would say, yeah, they're on the outside, so love them unconditionally. It's so un- counter to what we naturally think. But Jesus says, love your enemies unconditionally. Now look at how this progresses. He says, do good to those who hate you. So he took it a step up. Because my guess is most in Rome, most Romans had no opinion of the Israelites. If they did, they, maybe they thought, yeah, whatever, they're peasants, they're, we don't really care. But now Jesus took it a step further. This isn't just people on the outside. These are people who actually hate you. These are people who don't like your lifestyle. These are people who don't like your beliefs. These are people who don't like you for whatever reason that might be, and they actively in their mind are against you. Now, again, I don't feel like there's a lot of people like that in my life today, but there's probably some. Uh, Maybe for us as Christians, an example would be if there's, this is not just people who don't believe what we believe, but this would be someone, maybe the atheists who are speaking out against Christians and saying, we need to destroy them, we need to take away their churches, we need to silence them, and they're looking for ways to attack. They just have this hatred in their heart for, for us. I haven't met many people. I know the fear is often, I don't want to talk about my faith because people will hate me for it. You know what? Honestly, I have had very few people hate me for that. They've hated me for other things, but not so much my faith. So we don't have a lot of these kind of enemies, but they might exist. But now look what Jesus said. He doesn't say just unconditionally love them. Look what he says. Do good to them, those who hate you. Find opportunities to actually do something tangible that is good for them. Find a way, if they hate you, to actually do good in their lives. See, most of us are good with the first one, right? Love our enemies. I love my enemies. I love the people who don't like me. That's fine. Even the people who hate me, I love them back. That's fine. But then if you say, okay, look for opportunities to actually do something good for them. And you go like, whoa, come on. <laughs> your enemy's behind you in line at Starbucks. Maybe you know who your enemy is, who hates you. When you pay, just leave the credit card and say, hey, that's my enemy. I want to pay for whatever they order. I'm going to do good for them. <laughs> Maybe for you this morning, it's very clear to you. You say, I know who my enemy is. It's a coworker. I know that person hates me. And maybe it's because of nothing you have done, but they hate you. Jesus today says, hey, great. Blessed are you. (laughs) Do good to them. Look for an opportunity to actually do good in their lives. Do you see how this starts to get a little offensive or at least difficult? Does he stop there? No. Keep going. Bless those who curse you. Now, this isn't just a person who hates you. This isn't just the person who sees you and goes, oh, I cannot stand that person. That's not this. Now, he says, bless those who curse you. These are people who are actually saying words against you. These might be people in our context. I don't know many people, again, who are like, I curse thou in the name of the gods in heaven. You know, I mean, we don't have that too much anymore. But how about someone who's gossiping about you? How about someone who's trying to tear down your name with their words? How about someone who is ruining your reputation through their words and actions, through their, what they're saying? Jesus would say, bless them. 
Bless them. Pray for them. Well, we'll get to that. But bless them. With your words, bless them. Don't return the favor. Don't hear, oh, they've been talking about me. Oh, well, let me tell you about them. Let me tell you the real story about their life. They think that. So when you hear our natural response, when we hear someone talking badly about us, is what? Let's take them down. Let's all go down. (laughs) Jesus says, look for a way to bless them. Look for a way to say something positive. At best, say something neutral. <laughs> That's your baby step. But look for a way to bless them with your words. When you see them, don't turn away. Don't run. Look them in the eye and say, how are you doing today? Hey, I was thinking about you and your kids this last week. How was that vacation you went on? Just, I, I hope you're having a great day. Getting uncomfortable yet? Does Jesus stop there? No. He goes on and he says, okay, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, this is not just your big, your enemies. It's not just those who hate you in their heart. Not just those who talk badly about you. But these who are physically mistreating you. A boss who says, I'm going to keep you down no matter what you do. A coworker who continues to manipulate and everything you do, they, they break you down. These are the people who are actually doing actions to mistreat you. Jesus says, great. Now you know how you should respond? Pray for them. Bring those people to the Lord in prayer. He doesn't say pay them back. Again, the Middle Eastern mindset in the ancient world is this. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you harm me, guess what? I now have the right to harm you. In fact, that is what is right is to harm you. So when Jesus is telling his audience, if they harm you, the eye for eye no longer applies in my kingdom. I want you to do this. I want you to pray for him. I want you to say, Father in heaven, I just take my enemy who's mistreating me now and I want you to pour out your love on their life. I want you to reveal yourself in their life. And you know, if you could stop them from doing what they're doing, that's fine too. (laughs) But God, my concern is that your kingdom be made known. Give me the courage to not fight against them. Give me the courage to stand and not worry about what my reputation looks like because of what they're doing. Uncomfortable yet? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, know who your enemy is and every day you wake up and say, God, I just want to pray for my enemy. I just thank you so much for my enemy. I just want to lift them to you in prayer. What would change if we did? See, human nature is to fight. Human nature is to maybe retreat. But human nature isn't to enter in and say, I'm going to do the opposite of what you're expecting. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And notice in each of these, he stepped it up. As the insult against us became more and more personal, our response becomes more and more personal. This is a radical love that Jesus is asking us. Then he gets into some practical examples. He says, if someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. The actual Greek word here is a jawbone, so it's a picture of being punched in the jaw. And and I've often thought of this as you get punched in the jaw and you say, well, thank you, may I have another, you know, over here. And, And it's not quite that. 
In the ancient world, again, if you get slapped on the face or hit on the face, that was an insult, not just physically, but it was an insult to your reputation. And what Jesus was actually saying, if someone wants to insult your reputation, if they want to hit you, if they want to go against you, be willing to say, you know what, fine, I can take it. Why? Because my world isn't this world. I'm not worried about this world. I'm not worried about that you just insulted me according to our culture. That's fine. Because I'm not living for that. So he says, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt. Again, I love this picture. This, they often wore two layers. They'd have their inner shirt, like their t-shirt, and then a, a, a cloak or a tunic, some translations say, over that. Jesus said, if they take your coat, take off the shirt. Say, here, here you go. You must need it. Again, he's using hyperbole here, but he's trying to say that stop at nothing to show the unconditional love of God. Change this right side up world and it, turn it upside down. Have a different view. Be so radically different that when people look at you, they say there's something off about that person until they realize that what's off is that Christ has transformed your life. He continues with hyperbole. He says, give to anyone who asks and don't even ask for it back. Again, he's using the most extreme statements to say, don't worry about this life and what you think gives you value. Don't worry about what's giving you strength and power. And notice all of these things are in response to the Beatitudes last week. Your riches, your comfort, your physical comforts, your um, being accepted by others. All of these are what he's giving practical examples of. My kingdom doesn't work that way. So Jesus presents this radical love. I think of Stephen, who was one of the early Christians in the book of Acts in chapter 7. He was a, a disciple, second generation or so, but he was being stoned to death for his faith. In Jerusalem by the Pharisees. I said, I can't believe you're blaspheming and speaking about the Son of God. You're speaking about Jesus, so we're going to kill you for your faith. And, and the story goes that they were throwing stones and, and killed him with stones. And Stephen's response, now, if we're getting hit with stones, what would our response be? I, yeah, yeah, ouch. Yes, okay, that would be one. Yeah. You are much more godly than I am, because I, I would use different words. So... Uh, I, I just think of like just even playing a sport. If I'm on the basketball court and I take an elbow in the face, my first response isn't, oh, <laughs> Lord, this is great. And so <laughs> Stephen is being stoned to death and his words were this. Father, do not hold this sin against them. That is upside down love. That is ridiculous. How did he have that strength? Because he understood. He understood his life was transformed by Christ. And he said, it's not about this. It's not about them throwing the stones right now. God, they don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this sin against them. I beg you, Father, as he prays for those who are mistreating him. So what's our motivation to do this? Because I don't know about you, but this, you know, you hear this and you think, okay, great. This sounds, I'll have a great week. This, this will be easy. I want you to look at verse 35. 
Because Jesus then, he goes on and say, and, and I want you to be a radical kind of love because the world is used to transactional love. The world is used to loving those who love you. The world's used to lending to those who will give you something back. The world is used to that. Like, that's the natural order of things. So he says, I want you to have a radical order of things. And look at this in verse 35. Jesus, when he, he sums it up, says, I said, love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now let's land on those la that last phrase first of all. So he says, sons of the Most High, and he talks about who's the Most High, God and, and the Creator God. And he says, he is kind to ungrateful and sinful people. What do you think he's referring to there? Sound, it kind of feels like, oh, he must be talking about enemies, right? I actually think he's saying, hey, um, just so you know, that he is kind to ungrateful and evil men. He's looking at his disciples. And he's indicating this fundamental truth about Christianity, one thing that we believe, that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 5, that we are all enemies of God. Because in our own ways, we rebel against him. And we don't trust him and take him at his word. The Bible describes us as God's enemies. But Jesus says, here's some motivation. Um, the Father God, your creator, he's kind and shows mercy to ungrateful and evil people. Oh, which, and that's you. That's you. Because God has already done this for you. Because what is already true of you gives you the freedom now to let this be true of the way you treat others. Because of what he has done, again, week after week, we should be reminded that this is not our way of earning our way to God. This is not our way of saying, here are the steps to being godly. This is our response to what Christ has already done for us. This is a response to the life that he has poured out and given to us. And that's why even when he says, your reward will be great, this is not future kingdom thing. This is not saying, hey, you're gonna, when you get to heaven, you're going to have like this extra blue ribbon. That'll say the Love Your Enemies Award. It's a really cool award. You want this one. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny too. <laughs> he's not speaking, he's saying your reward is already, that when he says your reward will be great, this is actually saying you are indicating that you already have your reward. It's in the kingdom of heaven. You will be sons of the Most High. That's not one day. You'll become a son of the Most High or a daughter of the Most High. He's saying, you will be. This is indicating what is true about your life. When you live this way, you're just giving evidence to the work, the transforming work of Christ in your life. You're starting to show what, you, what is already true. You're getting that you're part of the kingdom of God. It's important that we don't exchange kind of physical selfishness for spiritual selfishness. Sometimes we say, well, I'll be good to people because then God's going to give me something really cool when I get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. Even sneaking into heaven, getting in by the hair of your teeth, that is reward enough. So Jesus says, let this be true of you because it is. Live your life in the kingdom of God because that is what's true of you. That's your motivation. You're living for eternity. Uh, the, last week, I, uh, our staff here, we went to see the movie, the, uh, Paul, the Apostle of Christ. 
And uh, if you're looking for a, a movie that's really long and pretty slow, I recommend it. Um, but, <laughs> but there's some really powerful moments in it, and I actually do recommend it. Uh, as, yeah, I do. It's, it's well done. It is a little slow. But the last 10 minutes are intense, and, and I think very, very powerful. And you kind of need the first three and a half hours to get to that last <laughs> 10 minutes of intensity. But the last 10 minutes, it's a picture of the Apostle Paul when he's in prison and he is martyred for his faith. And so I don't want to end, you know, ruin the ending, but he dies. And um, read your history books, you'll know, you'll know the end. But he has this conversation in the end of it, Paul does. And there's this Roman guard who's looking at him and saying, I just, I, I don't get you, Paul. I don't get you Christians. Because we're persecuting you. We're killing you in the streets. We're burning your bodies as lanterns to light up the, the city of Rome. And yet you guys keep loving us. You guys keep responding. You don't respond in kind. What is going on? How do you live this way? And Paul shares this story. And he says, our lives are like when you dip your hand in water. You dip your hand in the water and the water starts slipping out. From the moment we're born, our lives here on earth start leaving us. And when that water's gone, it's gone. And so many people, we dip our hand in the sea and we hold on to that water and we live for the water that's slipping between our fingers. And Paul looks at this Roman guard and says, for Christians, we live for the sea. Eternity is so short. This isn't my motivation. Because I have the whole sea. Our motivation is the kingdom of God. We don't need the water in our fingers when we have the whole sea. So how do we respond? A few quick thoughts. As a church, first of all, how do we want to be as a church community? We want to be a church that blesses our city. North County. We want to bless San Diego, California to the ends of the earth. We want to be a church who loves those who are not like us. That's why we do things like we partner with uh, the Community Resource Center. Now, that's not, no one in there is our enemy, but why we intentionally want to take care of the homeless and the underemployed. Because we believe that God has blessed us. We can be a blessing to others. Why we work with, with students, many of them from the high school we work with, are at risk from at-risk families or families where they're broken and they're looking for hope. Why do we partner with them? Because God has loved us, so we want to love freely. Why we do work on tutoring programs mostly for immigrant families because we want to love those kids and love those families and give them hope and a future because God has loved us. Now again, those aren't our enemies. None of those people are against us. But as a church, we want to intentionally love even if they say, hey, we, you know, we're not Christian. We don't say, oh, well, you know what? If you're not Christian, we can't really love you. We say, that's fine because God has loved us when we were outside of his tribe. We want to love you. As a church, we want to be people who loves. Here's the other thing. Let's be a church that prays for our community. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our teachers. Let's pray for our schools. Let's pray for our nation. And not just pray, God, bless us and make us greater. No, God, we just pray that you would somehow let your church make a difference. And would you reach the people who are against you? God, we want to pray blessings in their lives. Do you pray for those who you're against? And I'm not saying you have to like it. 
I don't like the curriculum in public schools. There are things that I don't like, that I don't believe, that they teach. I could fight them, and sometimes you can speak your voice. I'm not saying never do that. But you know how different it is when you start praying for them? Say, God, I just want to ask that you would move in their lives. I want to pray for these people, even if they never change what they believe. Even let them know, hey, I was praying for you last week. I'm just praying that God would show up in your life and bless you. It's amazing. Let's be a church who prays. Now, as an individual, and I want to ask the worship team to start making their way up, because I'm going to ask you this as individuals. How do you respond? Who are the people, what are the relationships in your life where you would say, these probably are my enemies. These are the people who are against me, mistreating me. Let me give you a few challenges. First of all, are you praying for those people? Maybe you have a boss who you say, every week, I'm having a great week or a bad week based on how my boss treats me. I'm having a great week or a bad week based on how my coworkers treat me or my neighbor treats me, my coach, whatever. Would you start praying for those people? Write it down right now. We're, we're good at praying for the people we like, aren't we? We pray for everyone we like. I want you to move to the top of the list. Pray for the people who are your enemies. Just be people who pray. Pray for them. Do good to them. Look for opportunities to actually serve and do good for them. And here's the caveat. Don't worry about how they'll respond. Some of you say, well, they're just going to take advantage of me if I do that. Okay. Do you think anyone took advantage of Jesus and his goodness? The answer is yes. Jesus didn't say, do good to them as long as they can return it. He said, do good to them. And guess what? A lot of times they won't return the favor. Sometimes they'll take advantage of you. Sometimes they'll look at you and say, he doesn't get it. He's an idiot. I don't like him, but he's still nice to me. Jesus said, that's not, that's not in play here. Live for the eternity that we see. And then finally, another challenge for you is this. Bless with your words. Bless with your words. Don't give in to the gossip. Don't give in to slander. Don't give in, even when you hear stuff, just say, that's, that's interesting that they think that about me. And repay it with good, with blessing. You see, all of this, and at the end of the day, this isn't, this really isn't even about that. It's not about the enemies. It's not about all of this. It's about the kingdom of God transforming and changing us. That's what this is about. It's about the eternity, the sea that we live for, not the water slipping through our fingers. It's about having a worldview that says, this is not all there is. There's so much more. Because my guess is we'll come back here next week and and when you turn in your report card, (laughs) that will say, how did you do this week loving your enemies? Some of you are going to have some wins. And the same, some of you might have some, well, I did pretty well until I heard this, and then I couldn't help it. (laughs) We're going to have ups and downs on this. But Jesus is saying, you have a different kingdom to live for. Can we be people who live for that kingdom? We're going to end and respond. Just responding with a prayer and then responding with some praise. But I want us to become uncomfortable today. I want us to think, this is ridiculous. And then I want us to realize that when we put ourselves in our own shoes 
and put yourself in the place of God and say, God loves me. He did good for me. He prayed for me. He blesses me. Have I ever cursed him? Have I ever done bad to him? Have I ever gone against God? Have I ever doubted him? Have I ever questioned him? Have I earned his love rightly? No. This is about being caught up in the kingdom of God, and we want to be a church community that's all about that. So let's pray, and let's respond. God, we thank you so much for this time, and I I thank you that your truth is so uncomfortable sometimes. And I thank you that, to me, that just reminds me that it's probably real, and it's probably true, because it goes so against what a human would invent. And so, Lord, I pray in this place here this morning that you would convict us of the times when we live for the water that slips through our fingers instead of the eternity that you've given to us. And God, for the times when we've decided that we wanted to play God, when you all along are saying, no, you've got it. And so, Lord, help us be a people who, first of all, recognize that we are loved by you and changed by you and totally undeserved. We were enemies of you, but you gave us your life. And God, I also pray that you would give us the courage to be changed by your life and to love as you love and have our our lives built upon you, not ourselves. So we give you this time now, Lord, and ask that you move in this place.